Rescue the Fosters is about changing the foster system. We want to ensure every child has a safe environment to grow and become healthy, successful adults. Additionally, when I was in the foster care system, I had to defend for myself. Rescue the Foster is here to empower the youth aging out of the system and offer resources to ensure they are not dependent on the government. What we observed was that children become institutionalized and end up in prison and providing the government with more funds. Rescue the Foster will provide coaching, resume writing, interview skills, professional attire for interviews, budgeting, applying for college, and obtaining housing. We want these youth to live the most free, successful life possible. It is their right and our responsibility to ensure that our future kids and grandchildren can live happy lives. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans that prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Good evening and welcome to Rescue the Fosters. I am Gino, your host, and as always, sitting right next to me, my co-host and the co-founder of Rescue the Founder, Rescue the Founder, Rescue the Fosters, Miss Sylvia Beachy. Sorry, we're a little giddy from before the show started. <laughs> Sylvia, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you, Gino? <laughs> I was better until I screwed up the opening. <laughs> so, well, I'm just glad I, you messed up before I did. Yeah, well, this is, I gotta say, this is my least favorite part of every show, the opening. Like, it is, like, I would, I wish we could just go, like, right into the story, but, you know, you gotta do that stuff. It's showbiz, we gotta do that. Just kidding. Yeah. Uh, so, Sylvia, another great guest. We say this every week, but honestly, this one's actually really, really special to both of us, because Danielle Holm is a good friend of both of ours. And I got to meet yes. Danielle personally, uh, gosh, like, three months ago, two months ago, something like that. Uh, she came up here and visited. It was awesome. We had a great time. Wish I could have spent more time. But it was really cool getting to know her. And I know you've known her longer than I have. You introduced me to Danielle, and I'm just thankful for that. But Danielle has a great story. And it, by saying great, I don't mean it's like, oh, this is wonderful what's happened to her. I'm saying it's a fantastical story that is, like, bigger than life. And we're going to try to put the pieces together tonight and make it, understandable because there is a lot to it there's a lot of moving parts and uh as, as we've demonstrated more than an, you know too many times honestly on this show that how many kids are stolen from their parents under shady circumstances sketchy at best i mean it is really bad stuff and danielle's falls right in that column of something's up something's not right and it's been gosh 2016 is when her uh, newborn son was taken at 33 hours old which i find very fascinating that number 33 and i know any viewers that are watching our show understand the significance of 33 and the masonic ties and all that so with all that being said daniel holm welcome to rescue the fosters how are you our friend thank you i know it's been a while sylvia's been trying to get me on here for a year <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm finally here so thank you yay well, we're excited to have you because we've talked about your 
your story like extensively via phone and text and all that stuff and i remember the first time i heard it like my head was hurting i was like oh my gosh like what is going on here this is the craziest thing i've ever heard and i don't know if we're going to get into every single piece of it tonight i mean this might have to be like a two or three part thing if we really delve into it but i think yeah. it's fascinating to show the many different aspects of what happens through cps uh, medical kidnapping all these situations that some of these you know the parents in our country are up against when they have to deal with this stuff and yours is a little bit different um and i i, I guess let's just let's start from the beginning you're pregnant and your husband and all that stuff and we'll just go from there okay well um first i kind of wanted to say something real quick to all the um parents and whoever that's been through this um I know you both know me. I'm a very joyous person. And I kind of felt the need like to say this to all the parents and children that might be watching or adult adoptees. I talked to a lot of them and a lot of people have asked me in the last seven years why I'm so happy or how can I remain so positive? And I kind of wanted to start off by saying I, I wasn't always that way. Um, I fell into a really dark depression throughout this process for a few years. And thankfully had a couple of people that helped me get out of that. And um, it, it really is God. So I wanted, I wanted to start off with that. God has really helped me through this whole entire process. And it's been a walk with Christ this whole time. And I feel like that's very important for people to understand is that it's okay to not be okay with um, your children being ripped away from you. And um, we have to rely on God as best as we can and just kind of work through all of it because it's severe trials that we're going through. So I wanted to say that. Um, but as far as my story goes, um, how it started, a little bit of a background. I feel it's very necessary to start with um, Christian, um, my son's father. His name's Christian. And his family are politically connected. So his grandfather um, worked on Capitol Hill for 30 years. He worked for Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford in their cabinet. He was a lobbyist and then he moved from Capitol Hill to the Department of Agriculture. He was one of the top guys there. And then he worked a little bit in the private sector and when Christian was two, he was taken from his mom and it has to do with money. Uh, trust was left to Christian when he was two years old. So they got rid of his mother and took her out of the equation. And then um, the grandfather who worked for the politicians took guardianship over him and kind of um, kept control over him his entire life. Um, we believe there's a conservatorship and things like that um, over this large trust. And the trust was left to him by his great grandfather, who was a very well-respected mayor of Oliver, Georgia and a Freemason. So that's kind of a backstory as to the connections that could potentially be involved in the situation that took place later on. So um, Christian left that situation with his family because up until through adulthood they were still trying to control his life in every which way possible because of this trust that was left to him and so we travel or he moved up with me in new hampshire i'm from new england 
And when we left New Hampshire, I was pregnant and we decided to travel a little bit uh, while I was pregnant for two reasons. I was kind of going through a spiritual awakening and wanting to um, kind of be with Christ more and get, get closer to God when I was pregnant. And we decided to just travel and we went to a lot of different churches and spoke to a lot of different pastors, priests, and all different kinds of religions. And but simultaneously, what was happening is that we were also kind of being followed in different areas. And it's hard to explain, but we were pulled over a lot by police. Police always knew where we were. It was very awkward and weird. Um, but we went to Arizona. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's relevant to what, what happened when he was kidnapped. So we were in Arizona for a little while. And um, we were throughout the country traveling to different state parks and national forests and seeing a lot of just different activity that I'm not used to. And when I was in Arizona, we were in um, the Mesa area um, and actually Maricopa County, which was kind of big in the news. So we were there and we saw a lot of... Um, like white van activity. And we actually were warned by a couple of people um, telling us to be careful because I was pregnant. So I started feeling very uncomfortable and I'm like, we gotta get out of here. And um, at that time, I we were trying to figure out where we wanted to go and what we wanted to do. So we started heading back East and he had a house that was left to him in an in inheritance and it was in a trust still. So we were going to head back towards the east and try to figure out how to get our hands on that house that was left to him because his grandfather had just passed away. Um, but we ended up stopping. That was in Georgia. We ended up stopping in Alabama. And like I said, we were at National Forest and State Parks. And so we ended up going to Chiaha State Park where um, I went into labor. So I went into labor and long story short, it got um very uncomfortable very quickly where i went into labor we called 911 and the first kind of like red flag in that situation was that when you call 911 the dispatcher is never supposed to hang up uh, especially when you're in labor that just doesn't happen so um christian calls 911 and um a, a little bit of a backstory with this the state park superintendent at the time actually put us in a specific location which at the time was a little weird but it wasn't an actual like campsite but she put us there on purpose and this was a sunday night it was october 9th 2016 and we were behind a closed gate so the gate was closed and it was a sunday so nobody was there but us so when we called 911 the 911 dispatcher completely hung up and said somebody would be there and, and they hung up the phone on christian and so all of a sudden a whole group of people show up when i'm in the woods at the state park in talladega national forest so a whole group of people show up and all i know is that a group of men take christian aside away from me so he's nowhere near me and then these women kind of are holding me up because I'm having like severe contractions. I'm in full on labor at this point, waiting for the ambulance. And all 
sorry to be graphic, but a woman decided to assault me and put her hand up there and I start bleeding. So I'm bleeding, I'm contracting, I'm, I'm in severe pain. I'm waiting for this ambulance. It seems like it's taking forever. Finally, and it's, it's chaos. Like there's people everywhere and I don't even know where they came from because all we did was call 911 and we were there by ourselves. So the ambulance finally showed up. We go to the ambulance and as we go out to the parking lot where the ambulance is, there's just at least 10 vehicles and half of them are black SUVs with government plates. So, I, but I'm again, like I'm in labor, so I'm not really focused on this. <laughs> Dan, all right, hold on okay. one second. Cause I want, I think this is kind of a critical point. So when you're in the woods and this woman assaults you, <clears throat> what happened with the other people that were around? Did anybody try to stop this or were they encouraging it? Like what, what was going on? No, the group that was with Christian were trying to keep him away, kind of distracting him or whatever was going on. I don't know. They had him away from me, which happened often. Every single time Christian was away from me, something would happen to me. So there was that. And then the people around me, nobody was stopping anything. It was just, straight up um I, I was assaulted i don't know um well, i know we've talked about this before i mean was it a cultic i mean did it seem like there was some kind of like ritual being performed or they were trying yeah, to i felt as though they didn't want me to get out of there so and and then that goes back to the 911 call we went to every single 911 call center after all of this because i filed charges against that woman and I went to the assistant DA basically demanding an investigation as to who this woman was. And she, they covered it up. Um, they had a grand jury and it was a three day process where they, um, they didn't say that there was a crime, but a juror came came and found me like a year later and said that they were saying that that woman assaulted me and the assistant DA told them that they're not putting it through. The assistant DA shut down the jury and told them that they're not going through with that case. So, um, it, so yes, it did feel very unwholesome and occultic and i don't exactly know why or what was going on but um the 911 call centers never had our phone call so when we called 911 we don't know where it went so every single call center in the whole area we scoped out every single center nobody had our call at all so i don't know how to speculate on that one but it seems as though like our call went to nowhere it's and being then routed people showed up. So I'm not sure. Um, and all this actually got brought up in court too, which is interesting, but, um, okay. So moving on. Well, when it was, um, when it was brought up in court though, Danielle, did they, did they look for records like phone records? We had phone records. We had it all. We showed them and they just kind of swept it under the rug and with the whole entire, entire court case, they were trying to make it seem like we were crazy. That was it. Um, we're paranoid. We're crazy. People, they were just good Samaritans there to help. I mean, that's the kind of picture that they were painting the whole time. Hmm. Um, did it feel so, like they, 
Did it feel like they knew those people that were in the woods? Yes, mm -hmm. they did. Because the state park superintendent, um, she ended up coming in. She was subpoenaed by CPS and CPS's attorneys. And she came in and she started off befriending us at the state park. And then she came into the court and flipped it and testified against us. So it was all very orchestrated, um, her and her staff. And what was her name? Tammy Power from Chiaha State Park. Um, so where are we at? Um, I have no After the 911 call. Yeah, the court. <clears throat> So yeah, you're in court. Um, you're you're in court, and they're and it's kind of a sham. You see, it's really going nowhere. It's kind well, of well. Like we're not a, in court wait, yet. Wait, wait you're, you're not in court get, yet. Oh, I thought. To get to the kidnapping. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going there. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm jumping around. But... Jump, I'm jumping okay. around. Sorry. So we get to the hospital finally. Um, that woman, Tammy Power, ends up barging into the hospital room and trying to say that she wanted to be there for the labor, and I'm like, no, thank you. So we ended up having her leave. Um, my son was born at 7 a.m. the next morning. So I was in labor all night. Um, so 7 a.m. he was born. And then everything was fine. He was perfectly healthy. Um, throughout the next day, so for the next 33 hours, as you said, it was really exactly 33 hours. He was born at about 7 a.m. and he was kidnapped at exactly 4 p.m. the next day. That's 33 hours. So um, he was perfectly healthy. And then the whole entire time he was just laying on me. I was breastfeeding, doing the whole mom thing. And just, it was just amazing. And he was perfectly healthy. And we refused vaccinations. We refused um, uh, basically everything we don't need so we refused vaccinations and at the time we refused birth certificate and social security number because we didn't know what we wanted to name him yet and there's a enumeration at birth program where the birth certificate social security number are all voluntary there isn't a law stating that you absolutely need to do that so right. um we were just kindly refused at the time and they kept coming in and saying are you sure you don't want to do this are you sure you don't want to sign and we're like no no thank you like we're we're fine we don't need to do that and i don't even know what his name is yet so we can do this later um so the next day so october 11 2016 at four o'clock all of a sudden uh, about 15 to 20 people show up they they come right into my hospital room he's literally breastfeeding on on my chest like at the time um and this reminds me of uh matthew 24 i think it's 17 19 how dreadful it will be in those days for our pregnant women and nursing mothers that's literally what it was like i was nursing and bombarded by basically a SWAT team um, so it was Aniston Police Department. It was a woman claiming to be a sheriff deputy. Her name's Rachel Israel. Um, yep, right there. Um, so she was claiming to be a sheriff deputy at the time. But when we went to the sheriff sheriff's office, the sheriff said she does not work for us. She just comes into our office sometimes to do whatever she does. At the time, she actually worked for the Calhoun and Cleburne Children's Center is where she actually worked. 
So um, she wasn't a sheriff deputy. She introduced herself as that. And when they came into the room, they surrounded my bed. They told Christian to get up. They took Christian out of the room. Christian was separated from me for hours. I didn't see him until hours later. And so I'm in the hospital bed with my son by myself, with nobody else. And so my bed's surrounded. Um, Rachel Israel comes in and says, um, we're taking him into our custody. We have did, reason to believe. Oh, did, did she show any ID at all? No. No, no badge? No, no. No, and at the time I was so uh like just distraught, right? I mean distraught and thrown yeah. off that I wasn't even thinking about asking for all of these things. I was just thinking about taking care of my son. Um and so she comes in and says that he's in their custody because they have reason to believe that we're not who we say who we say we are. And I was very confused. I didn't know what she was talking about. And she said that she believed that I was Daniela Ruiz from uh, Arizona. This is where Arizona comes in because we, we had just been in Arizona. And so that's the connection there where obviously they knew that's where we just came from. And now they're saying that we're these two other people out on bond. And this is where they project what they do onto others because they accused us of being these two other people with different names out on bond for child trafficking and drug smuggling. So I was completely shocked. Um, I, 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 right away, I was just like, I know this is a mistake like this is going to be over in a day because that's not me i don't have a criminal background i've never done drugs i don't drink alcohol really i mean after all this i have a little wine sometimes now but <laughs> at the time i didn't do anything so i was completely just blindsided and thinking it was just going to be a mistake so they so i'm I'm having to like go back into my head and do this. Um, I'm laying in the hospital bed and she says, you need to hand him over. And I said, no. And so I'm holding him to my chest. And I just remember like, she's on my left. The hospital security guard is on my right. The hospital security guard holds my arm down and pulls it back so that I have to let go of my son. As I'm still trying to hold on with my left arm, I'm trying to get away from her on my left because she's reaching down to grab him. And so I'm like, no, I haven't done anything wrong. Stay away. Like natural instinct of a mother is to, to do that. Right. And so she said, now I have something to use against you. If you don't give him to me, you will be arrested. And I'm like, I haven't even done anything wrong. Like, I don't understand. And so she forcefully goes in and takes him off of me as he was latched on. He starts screaming, crying, and that was only the second time that he cried in two days. He cried when he was born, and he cried when she took him, and that was it. Um, in court, I'll just bounce around a little bit for a second. In court, the hospital security guard admitted that he held my arm down. He said he did. He also said that she, uh, or the woman that helped CPS, is the one that took the baby. That was Rachel Israel. On the stand, Rachel Israel said that she never touched him. So there's that. Um, so, but, she but sorry, not. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, I'm okay. sure the security, the security cameras will show all this, correct? 
I hope so. Other, I don't know. I mean, that's the other thing. We went to risk management to get all of that, but they had put a uh, a bolo out on us. Be on the lookout. We weren't allowed at the mm-hmm. hospital. Every time we went the back, hospital. the police the police would get called on us to take us away. So what was I, the name I, of the hospital? Yeah. Um, it was RMC, so Regional Medical Center in Anniston, Alabama. And I was just bringing up the camera issue because I want people to understand this. It's, I don't recall one single person we've talked to where like surveillance footage, the body cams from the cops is able to be used in later on to, to get these people mm-hmm. and prove that they're lying on, on the stand. It's never used ever. I mean, right. Sylvia, can you recall a case? I can't. There might be no, one or two. No, even but... when it is, they don't, they don't even look for it. They don't ask for it. Um, like even when, like the hospital, they should have the camera that you can look at and, and they should have gotten this situation taken care of before they took the child. Right. Right. Because you were not these people. Yep. Um, so yeah. So they take him, he starts crying. She then hands him to CPS and they leave the hospital, my room. And so we are. Uh, well, not me, we, I'm by myself now. I don't know where Christian is. Um, they leave me alone in the room. I'm just distraught, devastated, don't know what to do, don't know who to call, don't know what's going on. They have guards outside my door, guards in the hallway. They're treating us like criminals. It's just chaos. And then... So Christian was not there when they took, when they took your child, Christian was not in the room? No, he was down the hallway. They, when they first came in, they said, you need to come with us. He got up and he went with them and he went down the hall and he didn't come back for hours. So oh, interesting. Do you, was, was do you know, was he being interrogated or was he just MIA? He said, he said that the cops were just keeping him in a room and that they didn't, they didn't even talk to him. They just kept him on purpose away from me. That's what he said. I wasn't in the room with him, so I don't know. But, um, yeah. So, um, this is where you can pull up the warrant. <laughs> because this is the only document that they handed me after. Well, nope, not that one. It's the notebook paper. Um, oh, you're, can't hear you. You're Sorry. muted. <laughs> Sylvia could wait. She was just sitting there waiting. He's <laughs> muted. He's muted. I'm going to get him. Uh, <laughs> no, honestly, um, I didn't load that one up. I just okay. realized. I can't believe it. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. That's fine. So... <laughs> so I'm so um... sorry. I Wait, I know what I can do. Go ahead and talk. I can still get it. Hold on one second. Go ahead. Okay. This was the one, wait, this is the piece of paper that's just the handwritten piece of paper? Yeah, it's literally, the only thing that they gave me was a ripped piece of notebook paper with the court date and the court time and the court address saying, be at court on this day, in handwriting on ripped notebook paper. So, and the social worker is the one that gave that to me. There was no warrant, there was no pickup order, there was no, there was nothing. It was just that. Um, so that was the document at the hospital. And then 
Gino, the other document with the footprint with the baby's footprint on it, um, I can show what happened there. So right there on the left, um, the social work, one of the social workers signed as the mother on the bottom. Um, it says K Alex Martin. So it's my name at the top. That was my fingerprint, the baby's feet print. And that is what you use to take to get a birth certificate. Well, she signed as the mother and the nurse certified that was her baby. And they used that to be able to discharge him out of the hospital. So what's her name? Alex Martin, oh, Kristen Alex Martin. And then when we asked her in court, when we were, we were actually pro se because we fired a bunch of attorneys. We asked her in court what gave her the authority to sign as the mother of my son and take him out of the hospital and put him in a car of somebody else. And she said her social worker license and badge. That was her answer. So not the law, not constitution, not anything, but her social worker license. Um, she don't even have a social worker license. They don't even have license. I was going to say, I don't recall ever hearing that there was a license, such a license. No. I mean, you're just educated and that that's the problem. We've talked about that extensively. Like anybody can be a social worker, you know, just throw them in there. We don't care. It's yeah. not like you're a, you know, a doctor has to get licensed, obviously, with the state and the boards and everything and pass protocols. And I don't know. It's just it's a much different system that we're up against here where it's it can literally be anybody and i don't even know if they're vetting these people honestly honestly i don't, I don't know if they're what they're you know when they're interviewing them are they asking them you know does there do you have a criminal record are they checking backgrounds are they doing all that stuff i we don't know i mean do you know sylvia they're in gia well they're in gia so it depends on the it depends on yeah. the nonprofit. i do know of a nonprofit in atlanta that doesn't check backgrounds because they don't believe that you should go by a person's background. You should give them a chance no matter what. So there's that. Around kids. <laughs> Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, another thing I wanted to mention was that this hospital was considered a baby safe hospital. And so they wanted to put an ankle bracelet on my son, like a technological device. And at the time, I'm like, well, is there ever a need for that? Is he ever going to be out of my sight? And they said, well, not unless he needs some sort of care. But he didn't. He was perfectly fine. So I said, no, thank you. Once again, I didn't want any extra contraptions all over his body. He was just brought into the world. And I just wanted him to be free of anything extra. It was that simple. But they ended up putting down that we were a flight risk because we refused this technological device on our son's leg. So that kind of started some sort of red flag at the hospital too. Or like we're a flight risk because we could potentially leave with our own child out of the hospital. Because I don't know, apparently you're not allowed to do that anymore. So um, yeah, it's just crazy. Um, I wanted to also, you had brought up um, Rachel Israel's LinkedIn earlier. Um, she is now working for the, yeah, right there. So Alabama um, SBI, and she's in the child and ex, or child exploitation unit. And she clearly is connected to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. 
Um, and she's the one that initially decided to come in and falsely accuse and kidnap him and then in court say that she never touched him. So she has something wow. to do with that organization, I guess. Um, and we've talked extensively about the National Center and what they're doing and not doing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's more to come with the National Center, by the way. I was talking with Megan today. Megan Walsh, if you're watching out there, everybody. Megan Walsh is the daughter of John Walsh from America's Most Wanted. Uh, I'm sure everybody knows the story of Adam being uh, kidnapped when he was a kid, murdered, uh, became one of the most famous murder uh, kidnapping uh, kid stories ever. I was 11 years old when that happened. I remember the whole country was terrified by it. And um, it created a lot of open doors to some of the things we're exposing right now. And um, I think you're gonna be hearing a lot of Megan coming forward talking about the National Center in the coming days. We were talking extensively today about some things and information needs to get out so people know what's really going on and not the charade that it is. So, sorry, I just need to add to that. Go ahead, <laughs> yeah. Daniel, sorry. Um, so we get out of the hospital without our child. Uh, uh, is put on us. We go to the first court hearing. Now, the first court hearing, there's immediately a gag order. Not allowed to speak out about anything. We did anyway, but um, they did. They put that out immediately. Um, and at the first hearing, the judge even said, you know, the whole mis our mistaken identity thing, which wasn't really mistaken, but that whole thing was obviously thrown right out. They were, they said it wasn't us. We're not those people. But now that we have your baby, now you got to do services and you have to do this and that, parenting classes and drug tests and this and that. Um, we already knew right away that there was something seriously wrong because if all of this could happen to us, like what else is going on? So we didn't agree to any of their services. And I've heard parents say that they've done them all and, not, and it didn't matter. And I've heard other people say they didn't do them. It didn't matter. It's the same outcome. So we mm -hmm. chose to take the route of not signing a single thing for them ever because we didn't agree to terrorism. And so we simply saw that we were given a child uh, from God and he was our responsibility. We didn't do anything wrong. We don't have to sign and negotiate with terrorists. That was our stance nope. the whole time. So um, we went through the whole court process for about a year. And again, this was almost seven years ago now. So we went through the whole thing in Alabama for a year, a, a state that we didn't even live in. We were traveling through. We were only there for a week and a half before this happened. We didn't even live there. So um, a, a little bit before the year was up, our visits got, or I think it actually was about when he was eight months old or so, visits got cut off because I was exposing a lot at that time on Facebook, um, mostly. And I started exposing um, the Safe Families Act of 1997. I started exposing the whole thing. And I brought up Hillary Clinton. Well, in the order, or not the order, but the petition to the judge to end our visits, the CPS supervisor said that I was dangerous because I was exposing Hillary Clinton. So, um, yeah. So they cut off our visits for a month for that. 
Oh my gosh. It's the only people in wow. danger when you're exposing is the people exposing them. That's what we've come to find right, out about right. the twins. Yeah. So, um, and then during that time, um, we were dealing with so much, like with foster parents in the town. There was a hate group that was started online um, that some guy had started. And um, all the foster parents in the town would see us protesting outside and they would take pictures of us and they would slander us on the internet and they would throw us in a hate group. And it just became like a witch hunt sort of situation where everywhere we went, people were yelling at us and it was just, I don't know, the whole community kind of, it, it's a very small town, um, a very, very small knit, everybody knows each other and all the foster parents are the same foster parents that collect the children and they didn't want us in that town and they even told us we don't want you here protesting um so our visits were cut off and then about a year into it they filed for termination of parental rights and we went to the first hearing and it was postponed nothing happened so we're waiting for the next date as we're waiting for the next date um that never came they had a hearing without us there and they didn't notify us because suddenly after a year of having the same address, suddenly they didn't know where we lived and they couldn't get the information to us. So they had this TPR hearing without us, terminated our rights. And in the termination, they said it was because the judge said it was because we are worse than the worst abusers that he's ever seen because we refused to get a birth certificate and a social security number and refused to name our son, which is the first act of love that you can give our give your child. So we're the worst abusers in the world because of that. So that was why they terminated our rights and without our knowledge. And I didn't even know that our rights were terminated until I saw the termination paper online in that hate group that those foster parents were in even though the court had a gag order on the case so the document went from the court to facebook somehow with a gag order and without our knowledge and we weren't even at the hearing so we never saw him again um it's been six years since we've seen him um but what year was that 2000, so November 17th, 2017 was the last day I saw him. And you didn't have any visits or anything before that? We had visits up until that point, except for that one month we were punished for bringing up Hillary Clinton's name. So we had visits throughout the whole year. Um, and then for about a month, they cut them off. And then we had visits up until that TPR. And then when they had the TPR, they stopped visits. So we knew immediately we needed to get out of there and go find help somewhere else because we knew we weren't gonna get anywhere with them. They were so corrupt. Nothing we did mattered throughout the whole entire year. We had several attorneys. We paid some, some were pro bono. We had to keep firing them. They were constantly were trying to throw the case. They were going past the root problem, which was the initial fraud. And they kept going right. into like service plans and this and that. And we're like, what is the deal? Like there's fraud at the beginning. 
So we kept firing them and then we would go pro se. Um, so we spent a lot of time and money on attorneys, which went nowhere. And then, so after a year of that, and then them terminating our rights and they terminated our rights and we didn't get notified until it was too late to appeal. So they did that whole thing on purpose as well. So mm -hmm. we, we left. Did you have to say something? <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. I Oh, no, you know, he, you're muted again. Oh my gosh, I wasn't muted. Not, okay. <laughs> this is not, I'm sorry. No, I was just thinking about the social security number still and the birth certificate. Yeah. Now, they're adamant that you're the worst abusers because you didn't name your child and all this stuff. Well, we all know that that's part of the system, right? Yeah, we know that right. that gets you plugged into the system, into the matrix, so to speak. So yeah. I just, and with this trust that we talked about in the beginning of the show, it make the wheels are turning. I'm thinking, okay, well, if you're not in the system, they can't get the trust. So get mm -hmm. them in the system so we can get access to the, to the trust. Now there is part of the story, Danielle, that you and I've talked about in private, um, mm -hmm. about this trust and some other things. And I don't know how detailed you want to get into that, but there, there is an element of this story that I think ties right to that trust. Um, and it's these people that want that money will do anything to get the money. Um, yeah. And and there was some political ties going back a couple generations of yeah. a mayor in a, in a city there and all these other political things that tie this into a neat little package that I think uh, paint the paint the edges of the pictures and under and bring more like clarity and understanding to what is actually going on and why they are like literally chasing you around and mm -hmm. forcing you to do things against your will. And it's, and I just want the people watching to understand that this is about money. Okay. It's, mm -hmm. it's money on every level of it. It's money mm -hmm. inside the family. It's money inside the courts. It's inside the system, the CPS system, the title four, it's everything together. Every bit of this story revolves around money. Um, yep. and I, and, and I do also think there is an element of like, um, satanic ritualistic abuse type things going on too. Um, right. as you continue, we'll hear it, but um, I don't know. Did you want to touch on that, Danielle? Like some of that stuff? Are, are you talking about why I left Georgia? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's, okay. I think that could be a key point. Yeah, so, okay, well, I can get there. Um, so basically, we, I'll, I'll get to that part. We left, um, we left Alabama because they terminated our rights without us being there. There's nothing that we can do there anymore because they're just corrupt. So we're like, let's just go to D.C. So we go to Washington, D.C., and we spend however long, I think it was a couple months or something, with a couple of our supporters. And we went and we knocked on doors of the senator's offices. We tried to speak to as many people as we could there. We went to the FBI, the Department of Justice. Um, we stood in front of the White House every day almost with lots of signs with print out evidence of the fraud and the kidnapping itself. A lot of the documents that I showed you, um, we had on like poster boards blown up to show people in front of the White House. We were talking to Secret Service. We were talking to anyone and everyone we possibly could after they terminated our rights because we just knew we needed to just talk to everyone. Um, nothing really came of that yet. Um, so then we started traveling more, talking to more people. We went to the military. We went to every, almost every single military branch. Um, we went to the Air Force. We went to 
the National Guard. We went to the Army. Um, we we tried to go everywhere with all of the evidence of treason and domestic terrorism. Like we we showed them like this is literally treason against our country and domestic terrorism. Was there something that we're gonna do here? Of course, they didn't really say much. And um, the sergeant at the Air Force um, said, thank you for the information. The storm is coming. I don't know what that means. So he just kind of um, left it at that and that's it. So we were traveling, going through everywhere. And then <clears throat> to get to that part, um, we were in Georgia where Christian's family is and um Christian's dad sat down with me one day and said that he the next time he sees me he's gonna put documents in front of me and I have to sign them and if I don't I'm gonna end up at the bottom of a pond and I said I'm sorry but I'm not signing anything for you or this corrupt family and I'm not signing anything for anybody involved with any of this ever again so I got up and I was I was about to leave because I was just threatened. And he said it again. He said, if you change your mind and don't want to end up at the bottom of a pond, you will sign what I put in front of you. So that's kind of showing me because we were married, um, they don't want any heirs to this trust. So they right. needed to eliminate my child out of the picture. Christian does have another son who's over 18 now. Um, they do have a good relationship. But he was also taken out of the picture at a very young age, and um, which was very difficult for everybody. Um, and I don't want to go too much into that. But every single person that could be an heir to Christian's trust that was left to him, they were trying to get out of the way. So that's so I ended up leaving Georgia about two years ago, and that was the reason for that. Um, so. Is that what you were referring well, that, to? <laughs> yes, that's it. I think that's a very key point to your story. And and here's the yeah. thing, too. He, he wasn't like joking around with you about this bottom of no. the pond thing. This was a this was a serious threat. Like your yeah. life is in danger if you don't sign these documents. Yeah. Um, and and can you touch on the the grandfather? Great. Was a great grandfather or grandfather? The mayor? There was two. So the great-grandfather is the one that left the trust to Christian. And he was the mayor of Oliver, Georgia, and he was a Freemason. And I guess from what I heard, he was very well-known, very well-respected. Everyone loved him. And he left a trust with a lot of assets and properties and things to this two-year-old baby, Christian, when he was two. Um, and then they got rid of Christian's mom. They got her out of the way. And then the grandfather, so the son-in-law of that great-grandfather, because mm -hmm. it was Christian's grandmother's dad, um, he was the one that worked for Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford, and he got guardianship of Christian. So. And, and I think those are, <laughs> there's so much to this story. You can go so deep. Yes. So yes. not to be conspiratorial, <laughs> but we both know those are, both, uh, I think they're both Skull and Bones members, um, Freemasons for sure. And obviously, Jimmy Carter was governor of the state of Georgia. And obviously, the political ties there are all there. Um, also, Gerald Ford um, is the only, I think this is true, Gerald Ford is the only president that was ever placed in office 
without an election. Well, unless you count the one that's in there now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going down that road. Um, if, if you count, he was stuck in there, right? Because they railroaded Richard Nixon, said he, you know, with the Watergate stuff and all that stuff. So it's interesting that you have two suspicious characters. I mean, if you know, Jimmy Carter always, you know, people are like, oh, he was a Christian. He's such a great guy. And he did so much for, you know, poor people and stuff. But he's not really a Christian if you really look at what he believes. Okay. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of people that act, act a certain way. So they get the um, accolades with it. And he's, they're really something else. And he is quite something different. Well, didn't he just die recently? I think he just died. Um, but he, it's just very odd and strange that that's the people they were connected with. Yeah, and also, I mean, um, yeah, um, one more thing, Daniel. I think Gerald Ford was head of CIA for a while, too. <laughs> makes so, sense, yeah. yeah. So, also in Georgia, um, his father, Christian's father and uncle, are part of the Hibernian Society, which is the same society Brian Kemp is a part of. And every time he went to Georgia to try and knock on Brian Kemp's door, he would send his Capitol Police on to us and um, escort us away every time. He never wanted to talk to us. So, oh, Dina, we should contact Brian Kemp's office and, and find out why he, <laughs> why he did that. I mean, the kidnapping itself happened in Alabama, but there was just so many Georgia connections to everything because that's where mm -hmm. Christian's from. And that's kind of, I think, where it stemmed from. So um, the other thing is that the judge on our, the, the last judge on our case, we had five judges, they all recused. Um, so the last judge on our case is the one that terminated our rights. He is also originally from Georgia. Hmm. And he's the one that said in the court that our constitutional issues don't apply in his courtroom. So yeah. What was it? Um, what's his name? Bud Turner. So I hope the audience yeah. caught that because we've heard that several times too and on all our shows that the constitution just doesn't apply. Sorry, it's not yeah. welcome here. In a court mm -hmm. in the United States of America, the constitution is not welcome. Let yeah. that soak in. Nope. It's really disturbing. <laughs> the more you think about it, the more angry you get. And you know, the Kemp thing, yeah. um, just what was it, two years ago, his son's girlfriend was in a car accident and died yeah um, right very suspicious that was, yeah, that oh. was right down the street from where i was living at that time oh wow Literally, okay i drove by there every day and we were living it was in pooler georgia and mm. i i found out about that yeah it's it was this whole big thing and it's i don't know i didn't get too involved in that but i was down the street when it happened so it was very suspicious yeah I it was around all the yeah, all the election yep. fraud stuff, and yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting ties. This is why I think Daniel's story is so fascinating. There's so many different elements that come together, but it mm -hmm. it obviously revolves around money, and 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 mm -hmm. I, it, to me, it just seems like Christian. They they were trying to program Christian, trying to get him to be basically debilitate him, so that they could gain access to the trust. Right? right to get power of attorney for the to get the trust and you're yeah. in the way you're one of the people in the way and then your baby's in the way because the baby becomes an heir and yeah. so they're like okay well we'll just knock everybody out of the way and then we'll get the money yeah. and it hasn't worked 
Yep. <laughs> so that's pretty much, yeah. I mean, those are the basics, but I know that both of you know the depths of how much more there is, but there's just so much. It would take so long to explain everything. Um, so much happened along the way, so much corruption, but I really wanted to focus on the fact that it is politically connected. It's financially driven, but ultimately also there's just a lot of good and evil situations taking place. I really was having a spiritual awakening and I was really, really truthfully walking on faith, walking for Christ and being attacked the whole entire time. I was being, um, a lot of it, a lot, actually, a lot of what happened in the courtroom was slandering religious beliefs. That's what they kept focusing on. So I was being mocked for what I believed. I was being mocked for everything. And then they brought in an expert witness who I never met. And I know this is something we keep hearing. I never met this person in my life. And she's a psychologist. Actually, do you have that picture? Gino? I had um, to... Did you? Was I, it documents? Yeah. No, it was like a picture of the judge with... He was at a party and the, this expert witness had her, her arms around him at a party. And she came in and testified against us and said we had religious grandiosity for following Christ. Oh, wow. Um, she also said on the stand that if Joseph and Mary were here today, they would be deemed with religious grandiosity and schizophrenia as well. Wow. <laughs> My God. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> That's this whole insane. Courtroom, yeah, this whole courtroom saga literally turned into like a religious like bashing fest. And mm -hmm. they were they were just mocking God the whole entire time. So, it is interesting. A yeah. Essentially. I mean, it's interesting that they always go after Christians. Why don't they go after mm -hmm. Muslims, Buddhists, Hindu, you know, whatever? Why is it always Christians? Because Christianity is the true way to, way to God, right? Through mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. And so it's always under attack and it always will. And Jesus said himself that we would be under attack. If he said, if, if they came mm -hmm. after me, they're going to come after you. So yeah. it's not surprising, but when you actually hear it and you're part of it, you're like, just because of my faith? Like, how does that affect you? Why are you so angry about that? But it is yeah. that proves the spiritual war we're all in. This is, mm -hmm. we're not up against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle. It always has been. Going back to the Old Testament, they were sacrificing babies. It's Moloch, it's Baal, all these different gods that they were sacrificing to. So nothing's really changed. You know, we think, oh, we're so advanced and we've moved along in society and, you know, we love each other now. <laughs> but that's not the truth. The truth is, it's the same evil that has been there from the beginning. And it's, I mean, I, I've, I don't know, I, on some of my other shows, we talk more in depth with the uh, spiritual side of this. But it's, it's something that needs to be addressed and understood. Because if you don't know that, if you don't know that you're up against this spiritually, there's no way to win. Mm -hmm. You can't win this yeah. in the flesh. This is something that right. takes God to intervene on our behalf and us with our authority in Christ to move forward and have these victories. It's a very sick, sick system. And when you know it from the inside and you actually see it operate, it's, I mean, even with the abortion thing, the abortion is just ritualistic sacrificing. That's what it is. Yeah. And yep. supposedly the, you know, not to go on an abortion rant here, but supposedly Planned Parenthood, only 3% of their income comes from abortions. That's what they tell us, right? 
but yet they argue so vehemently we've got to have abortion we've got to have why it's only three percent of your income just do the rest of what you're supposedly doing and help women and then you wouldn't have to worry about it but it's because it's a ritual it has to continue it's a blood sacrifice it's it's really really disgusting and danielle you have those all those elements are there in your story what's what um mm-hmm. do you do you know um of the whereabouts of where your child is today i have no idea i haven't seen him like i said since the end of 2017 so it'll be six years in a couple months i haven't seen him his birthday is next month he'll be seven on october 10th and i don't know where he is i have no idea um they refused to tell me anything. They gagged us. They shut us up. They hid him from us. Just everything. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention real quick was there seems to be a difference between family court and juvenile court. And when they ended up getting a, a pickup order after the kidnapping for juvenile court, and we were never in family court until Christian was subpoenaed to court for spousal support and we were married. So he was called in for spousal support in family court after we were in juvenile court for our apparently delinquent child. And when I was at the courthouse one day, one of the court clerks slipped me a piece of paper. Do you have that one? It's, um, is that the juvenile one that you that you showed me? Yes. So yeah, right here. Top, yeah, yeah, the top right. Um, Are you able to zoom in on that? I can't. Because this I can't. Unfortunately, okay, I can't. So on that um, piece of paper, the court clerk, that's not something that's public, I guess, but she gave it to me. Mm-hmm. And um, it shows a felony on there for a juvenile court. So not for me, not for Christian, but a felony for our baby. And that's how they put the charges in to push a case into juvenile court is charging the baby. So we went and we filed a habeas corpus at the, in a federal court. And um, they basically swept it under the rug and didn't do what they were supposed to because they're supposed to show the body in a certain amount of time and say why this prisoner is being held. And they did not. And instead, they said it was a custody case. But how can it be a custody case if it's not in custody court, like family court? It was in a juvenile court. Um, and a probation officer for a juvenile delinquent signed off on it. So that's kind of another way they're pushing these things into um, the courts is through juvenile uh, court, not necessarily always family court. So that's something else that we picked up on in our case, because in our situation, there wasn't a divorce taking place at that time. It was kidnapping and they had to put it through the system in some way. So um, that's just another piece of info about the fraud taking place. Yeah, it's a good way that they can skirt the law so they can just keep hiding it. No oversight, no one watching over their shoulder. So they just kind of push it through their different systems so they can keep it hidden. That's what we've we've discovered. I mean, I think the, the most shocking thing for me um, other than them stealing children, is this the depths they will go to keep it hidden? 
Mm-hmm. That, so yes. no one knows it's going on. It's just, it's like, oh, no, this, this isn't happening. You people are crazy. But it is going on. And it's, it's, there's no camera, there's no oversight, there's, there's no jury of your peers. There's, it's like all these things that are checks and balances that have been put in place by our forefathers. And I mean, biblically, you can look through the Bible, it's the same thing with witnesses and things like that. All of those are taken out of the way. So they can do what, they have literally free reign to do whatever they want to do. And it's all illegal. I mean, everything they do yes. is illegal. But they have the loopholes, they have the lawyers, I'm sure the bar is in on it. They're all just, you know, just swimming in this cesspool and they, they laugh because they can get away with it because no one can watch them. No one can call them out. Yeah, but, I don't right. know how we get around that. I honestly don't. Well, it's going to be through the people. I think people need to see this. And that that's the thing with, with her documentation. It's not even legit documentation. Even the, to show up at court, it was a handwritten on a piece of paper. It's not It's not legit. Um, so, um, do people really need to start paying attention to the court? Yeah. A handwritten yeah. note on a piece of loose leaf paper with not even a notary, not even a notary Republic, no stamp, no court stamp, no like uh raised seal. Yeah. And this isn't the first, we've heard that before too. That This is a very common thing going on. They just show up to let us in. We have a warrant and it's a, you know, on a post-it note. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like. What world are we living in? And also, yeah. did uh, did they try to get you um, the psychologist? Did she diagnose you, or did they try to get you a diagnosis? No, they never even we never even met with anyone. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. Thank you. <laughs> so the expert witness came in and she testified, just frivolously, hypothetically speaking. They do the whole hypothetical, like the attorney will ask her questions and say hypothetically. If you have people that believe this or this, what would you consider this to be? Is that a mental health issue? So they do a lot of like right. the picture and, and um, creating a false narrative in the courtroom on record, but we never met her. She literally walked in, sat in the stand, and was trying to, on the record, paint a picture of religious grandiosity and schizophrenia and delusions because we're exposing child trafficking <laughs> and showing them like what's actually going on and the fact that it's completely against god's design so they went that whole route saying that we must be crazy we must be schizophrenic and we have religious grandiosity especially me apparently so i am extremely religious you're you're (laughs) yeah you're you're a fundamentalist you're you're a zealot (laughs) My gosh, what, yeah. what grandiosity! That's a good one. Yeah, that's never yeah. heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's all surreal. Every time, and we've done—I don't know how many shows we've done now. Just a lot of them between this show, "Let Our Children Go," what me and Megan and Mike were doing in the beginning. Like I, I'm. Every time you hear another story, you're like, "Oh my God, this is this is going on in America, folks, in the United States of America." Yeah. These people show up at your door and they steal your family they literally steal your life steal your kids from you and, mm-hmm. and and i said this last night but i think it bears repeating this in nazi germany the brown shirts were showing up at the doors and kicking them in and doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. that's how close we are now i don't think we're going to go that route i think we the people will stand up and this just we well, don't know we're not going to tolerate it as far mm-hmm. as i can tell but as of right now as it stands today 
I don't see enough people standing up. Right. Not enough people protesting. Not a, enough people calling these people into account. Um, our Congress is pretty much useless when it comes to this. We know that. It doesn't matter how many laws are passed. We have enough laws on the books right now that if they were just upheld, this would end. Uh, we talked They're not about even this following their own. They're not no, even they following their... their own policies and procedures. No, it's, <laughs> no. It, it's free reign. It's like it's like a circus. Honestly, like they get to do whatever they want, and they know it. And it's in the biggest problem I have is it's run by all lawyers. That's why they've created so many loopholes. They know they they purposely created laws and statutes and all these things with loopholes, so they had a back door. The public mm -hmm. doesn't. They do. And, and then they know they get away with it. There's no accountability and they make a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And then they have sick fetishes to go along with it. Uh, and I and, and until people start rising up like the like the mama bears did for the CRT stuff and, you know, the story hour with the trans at your library. I mean, like th the same type of uh, civil disobedience needs to happen, not violence, not killing people, none of that stuff. Just pro the good old-fashioned peaceful protesting and, and saying enough is enough. That's how it ends. But at yeah. this point, I, and me and Megan were just talking about this this afternoon, like there's just not enough. There's not enough people to stand up and say that right now. I don't understand it. I yeah. think that's something, it's non-political. This is apolitical. This is just a human respect for each other saying, you know what? We love each other. We respect the family. I think this is something we could come together on. Who cares about all the other stuff? But as of today, I don't see it. If we don't stand up for children, what are we even, like, as a, as a collective, what are we even standing up for? What else is there to stand <laughs> I, up for? I don't know. Right. I honestly don't know. I don't it know. It doesn't make any sense. And then I know that there's a lot of stuff going on right now with congressional things taking place that are making the illusion of that we're fixing mm -hmm. something and we're not. So... That's getting aggravating. Uh, nothing's going to be fixed. Yeah, nothing's right. going to be fixed until they take away the incentivized systems. When you're when people know they can make money off it, and you're a criminal, you're going to keep doing criminal things. That's yeah. just human humankind. That's human behavior 101. <laughs> and they know it. They I'm I'm not joking. I guarantee they all go out after and they're just laughing together. All the lawyers, the judges are all. It's there's no doubt in my mind. They go to their little you know getaways and hang out have their big parties and expensive wine. They have lunch together at lunch. The court while they're doing the court. That's they, cool. they have yeah. lunch together. It's the opposite side. And they go and they have lunch together and yes. they discuss the case. And they go in and they do this whole ritual that is not yep. even legal. Yeah, I went um, throughout the court process. I actually went to a restaurant to go get takeout one day and I walked in and I saw the judge of my case with both sides of the attorneys and I'm like well hello I hope you're having a nice lunch today would you like to tell me where my son is <laughs> it's, it's crazy like they all hang yeah. out yes. and, and, and well, in that picture there's the judge with that expert witness who I never met before and they're at a party and she's literally wrapping her arms around his neck they're all in the club, it's, and we're this not. This is what it. they. This we're is not. what they did at Megan's case. The state attorney went and had lunch yeah. with 
the caseworker, and then they got, and then they said I couldn't, I couldn't testify because I had talked to my lawyer, uh, Megan's lawyer. But they're literally having lunch with the people, and then they they just do whatever. It's all fun and games. It's like a day in the office. Yeah, because they're under the umbrella of well, it's legal counsel. We have to we have to associate with each other. We have to understand and, and discuss the law. Meanwhile, they're just laughing with their you know big cigar in their mouth and having a cocktail after. It's sick. It really is. I I don't even it, it, until you really like just kind of you know like simmer on it for a little while. Like let's just let it run around your brain for a while and really think about how bad it is. How there is we do not have a justice system right now. There is no justice. I mean, the family court is probably the worst of the worst, but every branch of our judicial system right now is broken and it's intentionally broken. You know, Sylvia, you've said it many times, the systems are, the system is designed this way for foster care and stuff. It's the same thing with the judicial system. They've hijacked it and it's run by bureaucrats. It's run by lawyers and lobbyists and all these things. And everything's just bought, bought and paid for right now. We've literally sold our rights away. And the, there is only one remedy. I'm telling you, the remedy is the people. That's it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think Superman's coming in to save us anytime soon. We are nope. Superman and yeah. Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> is there, please tell me there's no trans uh, superhero. <laughs> it's just men and women. Not, please, not story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, Danielle it's a compelling story and I know you just kind of scratched the surface on it. There's a lot of rabbit holes. My gosh, we've talked about yes. so many of them. Um, but thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Wait. Oh, go ahead. So Danielle is the reason that I started rescue the fosters. And, uh, because when I met Danielle, I was working at Elks Aidmore and I was researching CPS and I came across her story and I reached out and, we kind of have been collaborating for the last how many years? Four. Um, okay, <laughs> since 2019. So Danielle is is joining Rescue the Fosters. She will be joining the board uh, in October. It looks like, and so we'll bring out more on that later. But uh, <laughs> she is the one of the reasons that I started Rescue the Fosters. Her and Terry with Let Our Children Grow. Um, and Danielle was also the first parent I ever met in person. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we're looking forward to the, the journey ahead of us. <laughs> yes. And I love you. I love you both. So thank you so much. Right. I don't know where I would be without all of you. So, I mean, seriously, I went through crazy things. And like you said, I just barely scratched the surface. There's a lot more, a lot of stuff happened. You both know every detail, um, but I'm sure we'll be on more shows together. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I just, I want to throw out, I, look, I love, you know, I love you guys too. I love, you know, Megan, if you're still watching, I love you, Megan. I know watching, Tony's, in the, Tony's <laughs> in the chat. Love you, Tony. Like we have such a great group of people yes. under this, under the horrendous circumstances that brought us together. There was a bond and a friendship that will never part. I mean, I could I tear up a little bit thinking about it because I've had great friendships in my life. I've had lots of really good friends, still do. But I consider you guys family, like all of you. And I would like literally do anything for any one of you. And and I I say that 
that is, I swear to God, like that is not just, you know, me making something up. I'm serious about it. And to, to see the connections we've all made and really I've never met anybody in person other than Daniel. I got to meet Danielle, like, like I said, a few months I ago. I didn't even get to for, meet Gina yet. I, I know, like I haven't met anybody, but it, but it's, it's that day will come. We will all meet face to face and be able to hug and, you know, hang out. But, uh, and it will be in victory. I promise it will be in victory. We will definitely win this thing. We're not quitting. I know none of us, we have a team of relentless warriors, people that will not quit. Um, and, and it's an undying Aaron, love. Thank you, Aaron, for sharing Aaron and too. for sharing yeah. Danielle's Absolutely. story and for Absolutely. reaching thank out you, and Tony. Yes, we love Aaron. Yeah, we love Aaron. Tara, we love. Uh, we got we just got a great group of people. Great group of people that that are all doing. We, we're like minded, and I I don't think it's coincidence. I think God has brought us together for this time. It's not a coincidence. And look, Absolutely. we don't have millions of dollars, folks. <laughs> There's no like huge bank account that we're we're drawing off, and we've got salaries. Mm -hmm. This is in our you know spare time. I mean, it's literally a full time job. But while we're trying to work and make a living and take care of our own families and stuff, so it's because the love of children and the love of family and what God has put on our hearts that we do this. And we just pray that more of more of you will join. You know, reach out to Rescue the Fosters. Reach out to Sylvia. Reach out to let our children go, Mark and Terry. Um, what we really need is exposure in Megan's case. We need people to start sharing Megan's story. We need we need eyes to fall on that story and understand what is going on with her family and, and what her father has done and her mother has done to her and her children. Um, this is this is the tip of the iceberg. I mean, honestly, like that that story. The rest of the iceberg can be exposed. You know, the, what is it? One third of the iceberg, I think, is above the water. The other two thirds is below. We need to expose that other two thirds. And Megan's story can do that. And her, her children should be in her loving arms today. All four of them. Mm -hmm. they've, they've done, and same thing with Danielle. Danielle's son should be at, in Danielle's house right now with her. And all these other parents we've had on, the same exact thing is happening. And then they, you know, I sent you that letter today. Uh, we had a couple on a couple months ago. Sorry, a few weeks uh -huh. ago, I think it was. Um, and they're getting threats now because they went public with it. Well, why are they making threats? Because they know they're being exposed. When you're doing oh, evil yeah. in the dark and the light comes and exposes it, they don't like that. The roaches don't mm -hmm. like that. And that's our job. Our, our job isn't to go out and, you know, hurt and maim people and literally fight and all that. No, we have, we have a mouth, we have a voice and God has given us uh, gifts and talents to use in this hour. And there's plenty of you that are watching right now. We have a pretty good crowd over there in rumble. Thank you guys so much. Um, and Tony, thank you again for uh, modding as always. We love you, but we need your help. Contact, contact us, contact us, please. And, and I'm sure we can give you some work. <laughs> Sylvia, Sylvia oh, can yeah. give you a task yeah, that uh, requires your gifts and talents that we need. So, all right, enough with me. Love you guys. Thank you guys for joining Rescue to Foster. Sylvia, any last words? Yes, if you have any information on Danielle's case about these corrupt officials, uh, Rachel Israel, the hospital, if you are a staff at the hospital and you were there on that day and you noticed something, please contact us. If you um, have uh, access to the camera and you can get us that access, please contact us. You can reach us at um, help at rescuethefosters.org um, or 770-861-0898.
Yes. Thank you. Uh, Bill Donahue's out there. Bill Donahue's a good friend. I, when I say good friend, I, I know Bill from the chats, and he has a show here on Foxhole. And he's on Neo shows on Tuesdays. Uh, and Bill said, this is the cent I think Bill's uh, little spiel here in the chat sums up the American public. He said, I love your streams, but it is hard to listen to stories about children being hurt, abused, or taken from their parents. Yes. And trust me, there is things Bobby I would much... Parent. Oh man, I, there are things I would much rather do than talk about this, at, you know, twice a week and really every day. I mean, it's become a passion now because we're trying to stop it. But this is real. And, and I know Bill knows the Bible like the back of his hand. Bill's a great teacher. And uh, he understands Moloch. He understands what they were doing, sacrificing children. And Bill, I know you just got here, but I had mentioned earlier, this is, you know, this is a centuries old the millennium. It's two millennium probably three millenniums of sacrificing children. So, you know, I, I'm, we're just up against it. It's a spiritual war and we need your prayers and everybody else's too. So thank you. All right, guys. Well, love you so much. Danielle, again, thanks for coming on. You did a great job. We were, we were laughing beforehand. I won't say what we were laughing about, but it was kind of funny before we started, but um, <laughs> thanks again, everybody for joining us. Uh, gosh, what is today? Thursday. So I will be live the blender Sunday night, nine o'clock with Michael from Texas CPN. Uh, join us then. That's always a fun show. I know a lot of the people that watch are watching right now are usually there on Sundays too. So we appreciate you guys. Love you so much. Have a great night and God bless.